0: Hello and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bauer, clinical psychologist and coach, mother of two traumatic births myself. This podcast is all about helping the helpers and supporting and training birth workers to feel connected and confident to navigate birth trauma. Advocacy and activism starts with conversations. My legacy is not going to be one of sitting around and saying, oh, well, that's just the way birth is. We can't change the system. Let's raise our voices while raising our vibrations. Trauma work isn't all dark and shadow. We can find light in without making light off. I want you to find growth, passion and purpose. Go back to the love, the joy, humanity that brought you to birth work in the first place. This podcast is also available in video format, where guests have said, yes, let me be visible. Head on over to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Aaron Bow. Now, before we start, if you've been enjoying this podcast and you're listening on iTunes, can you hit pause for a second and leave me a review? I want these stories and support and messages of hope and growth to reach as many people who are interested in birth as I possibly can. Now, to do this, I need reviews. Reviews help the algorithm and they show the podcast to more people. There is no money in this for me. This podcast is just a small part of me being the change I want to see. It's also an excuse for me to shift out of mum life for a, you know an hour or so and have meaningful conversations with other grown-ups who are not quite as invested in fart jokes and paw patrol. I love stories. This is why I do what I do. This is why I do this podcast. Sharing stories can be such soul medicine. I really do believe that as healers and helpers, we cannot walk this path alone. We need support, a sounding board, and a circle, either a physical one or a metaphorical one for storytelling. There's magic and medicine in storytelling, and my guest today is one of the best at all three of those things. Dr. Danielle Arabena is an Indigenous doctor, healer, witch, and a doula. She is a shamanic healer, a holistic pelvic care practitioner, and an all-round witty and wonderful witchy woman. She is a keeper of the crossroads between magic and medicine and how these things can coexist. For any science or health practitioner who is woo-woo curious, comes from a diverse cultural background, or is simply feeling they need to hide their spirituality and culture, Danielle is your go-to. She stood on a stage at medical conferences speaking about astral travel, and no one set her on fire or tried to drown her. Danielle's a kindred spirit and that she, like me, has earned degrees in part to prove a point, to have people take us and our healing gifts seriously. It's not been an easy ride for Danielle by any means, but she's found a way to heal in a way that feels authentic and aligned. Danielle and I talk about birth as a sacred practice and her ability to feel the energy between the two worlds. We talk about trauma in the context of the erasure of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture and ways in which we can make space for Indigenous families to feel safe and supported. You can find Danielle at drdanielarabina.com or on Instagram, Arabina. You are more powerful than you know. If birth workers and the people they serve can remember that they are powerful, then we will change the world. Good morning,
1: Danielle, how are you going? Good, thank you. Thanks for uh, having me on your fantastic podcast today.
0: Ah, thank you so much. I've been chasing you for months, but you've had quite a big year, quite a I big had, year.
1: I have, I've had um, a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Uh, I've had a, my, both of my parents die in the last year, So that's been a really interesting um, space to stand in as an adult child, suddenly feeling a bit lost in the world. And um, I've had some fantastic highs as well, like stepping in and doing teaching work with the lovely Angel Phoenix Arsenal, um, formerly Angela Gallo, and really stepping into my magic and my power as a witchy, healer, doctor, medicine woman, whatever you want to refer to me as.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So it's it's been quite the year.
0: It's super exciting that you're here because I think for a lot of people, you, whether you like it or not, represent this like, ooh, ooh, she did that and so far no one's set her on fire or drowned her or stoned her to death maybe, maybe some of those of us raised in the, like, you know, very white Western medicine, health, this is the way to do things. Like, oh, ooh, could we dare? Could we dare step outside of that? So this is going to be super, super exciting.
1: And and, and honestly, um, that has been such a tricky road for me to navigate internally. Mm. So I'll just backtrack and acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we both are standing today. Yeah. Um, and acknowledging the ancestors past, present and emerging. So I find that that's a really important way for, before I start um, having conversations with people that are meaningful to acknowledge the traditional owners, because I identify as being of uh, Torres Strait Islander descent through my father's side. So my, I'm a descendant of the Miriamir clan groups. And this is really important. For as you were saying, like me stepping outside of the white Western medical realm, Mm. because over the years, ever since I was a young girl, I've been taught by spirit um, around ways of healing and things that are outside the medical realm. So before I was doctor girl, I was little witchy healer girl. Mm. Um, And I grew up and I had some really significant dreams that opened me up to the spiritual world where three Torres Strait Island women came to me and said, it's time for you to wake up. And they pricked my finger and I started vibrating in my body and left my body and turned into a wolf, in fact. Mm. So along that journey, um, I really stepped into um, healing in a way that was culturally significant for for myself and my people. But it was really interesting because my grandmother, through my father's side, my paternal grandmother lived up in Cairns and I lived in Brisbane. And a lot of that stuff through things like... Um, the government policies of the day, our our magic and our medicine culturally was removed and separated from us. Mm. So that's why it's really significant for me that I was still being taught in a dream state. So I was taught how to use um, you know, crystals and rocks. They were actually my first healing modality and my hands would get hot and I started learning that I could travel into people's bodies and see energy and pull it out. So this is before I had any medical um, or Western medicine framework. I was naturally doing this as a a young, you know, probably about 17, 18 um, and 19. So um, I had my children quite young. So my first daughter uh, I had when I was 22 and, you know, her birth uh, was very fear-based, was very... Um, you know, I, I was young and I had a threatened miscarriage as well. And I remember going and I, at that stage, you know, cause I was young, I didn't know what I wanted to do with regards to my pregnancy. Um, cause obviously it was a surprise and I was with my fiance now husband and he was out at the police Academy and I had some threatened, you know, some bleeding PV bleeding and I remember going to the hospital and, and there was a clot that came out and this male doctor, he, he looked like Doogie Howser for, I don't know how young your listeners are or old they are, but it was a very young looking doctor. I
0: like that reference because that's often the thing that people would say to me like, oh, you've got a PhD. How can you have a PhD? I'm like, I'm Doogie Howser.
1: I'm yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Doogie Howser came and like picked up this blood clot um, and said to the nurse, oh, can you just send that off to pathology and like sort of almost flicked it at her, and she she put it in a specimen jar. And I remember saying, "Is that my baby?" Oh
0: my god!
1: And he said, "Oh, I don't know. Oh, did you want to keep it?" And it was at that time I went. It just it was just like this galvanizing moment where I went, "Yes, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I do want to have this baby. I don't want you tossing part of my you know." internal tissue aside with such disdain mm.
0: um,
1: so as at that moment i realized that despite um you know there was a societal pressure from particular family members that we weren't married and you know all of that you know you're you've still got your life ahead of you like all of those stories that you get told when you're a young mother
0: yeah.
1: um, about being pregnant were told to us But then me being a total rebel was like, fuck you. I'm actually going to show you what an amazing mum I can be. But I was still like, I was very much in the hospital system and I had this thing called um, separation of the symphysis pubis. Mm. um, And that actually kicked in quite at probably about 20 to 22 weeks. And it was quite um, painful. And it was almost like um, I had to be on crutches and I could barely walk and... Here I am, a young girl um, with no real sort of family support at that time. My poor little husband's going through the police academy and he's just got this, like, I've got to support my family. So he basically locked himself away and studied and worked really hard because he he suddenly had this responsibility to look after his family, which was lovely. And, you know, I remember going to the hospital um, oh, there was a couple of things. So I I went to the hospital and, you know, you get the ultrasounds done and the um, sonographer didn't specifically say that Kayla had ears. So in your anxious state, when you're really stressed during your pregnancy, I actually came away thinking my kid didn't have ears and I got really upset by it. You know, because they said, oh, there's their fingers and there's their nose, but didn't actually. And it was just something that, you know, you become fixated on. And that's really quite normal um, during a pregnancy. But I didn't have those support systems. didn't really have family support. I was young, um, didn't really have a good solid relationship with a general practitioner. Um, And, you know, the maternity system is just this big faceless system at the time when I was going through, we didn't have maternity um, or midwife-led care, it was just like you go there, sit there, and whoever, it's a raffle ticket, whoever, you know, you turn up with at the maternity ward is is the person that you're supposed to bond with and have this, you know, relationship with. And I remember um, the pain was becoming quite excessive and I was actually a bit acopic. Like I couldn't, you know, I, the pain was bad. And on the sort of as we're coming up to the time Kayla was due, the the doctor, you know, I said, Oh, I'm in a lot of pain. But instead of like sitting down and realizing that I was stressed and maybe young and didn't have any social supports, they were basically branding me as like, um, are you going to harm yourself or your baby? Mm. Have you ever thought about harming yourself or your baby? Like I was like a, a, like a psychotic person Mm. or I was going to do something to. And I was like, no. Mm. Um, So that was their screening of me totally again a asympathetic. It was just this male doctor just you know th- you know punching that out at me to tick the box. Um so yes mother states she is not gonna harm herself or the baby. Just, so they induced me they induced me on the day I was they induced me on the day I was due. Um and it was all very you know mechanical. I had the uh you know the old crocheting hook up the vagina and uh, doing that and then I was on the CTG and I, then I went to uh, epidural and I ended up having a vaginal birth though uh, but you know it was not I realized that that was not how I wanted to birth but I didn't know that there were any other models really for me mm. and so when I got pregnant two years later or a year and a bit later because my kids are two years apart Um, I decided I was going to do something differently and become a little bit more empowered. So I looked at ways to help me with my pain relief. Not one person in the hospital system said here, I may be sorry, I lie. The physiotherapist, I think gave you, you could go do physiotherapy classes or that. I think they gave me a TENS machine just before I went into labor. But with um, Amy, I started getting acupuncture Mm -hmm. and then I realized that, and you know, doing things that I could do to help myself um, besides eating a packet of Tim Tams is, you know, the 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 mode of how I was doing my self-care when I was 22 because I was stressed. Mm-hmm. So I sailed into my second child's birth. She wasn't induced. It was like a um, spontaneous vaginal delivery. And she was a fast and quick birth. But even during that time, I had a doctor tell me... Um, she thought my baby was really small, but it was hard to tell because I was so fat. I was like, wow. And I remember ringing my, my hubby up and, like, crying to him on the phone. And then an, I think a midwife overheard me say it. Um, and she's like, what? I went, they said my baby's really small, but they couldn't tell because I'm so fat. And they're like, oh, my God. Um, and my baby was nine, nine pound three, which yeah. is a pretty decent size. It's not a tiny baby. So it's really interesting, like those little phrases and words and things that happen to you when you're, um, you know, working with in that health system. I think as health professionals, we need to understand like the the things that we say can be taken one way, but it's also the nuance and, and how you say it can actually impact on, the, on a pregnant woman so much. Oh, so much. Particularly, you know, like, and, and, you know, if there's any takeaway message, it's that. Please be mindful. And I get, I, I've been, um, I've been a registered nurse. So I, w- I did my nursing degree because I was going to become a midwife. Um, and then I've also been a doctor. So I get busy times on wards when life is stressful and you're getting fucking pressured, you know, from every angle. I I get that and I acknowledge that, but it's just, you know, it's just sometimes when we are busy and we're hurried and we're stressed and we might snap something or we're trying to tick the box. Have you ever felt like hurting yourself with a baby? Tick. Right. No, they're fine. I've done. I've expelled my duty of care. So we've, you know, we've got to be in a system or in a place where we can learn to balance those two things up the desires and, and wanting to help a, um, a pregnant woman plus, you know, ticking the boxes in the healthcare system. So it's it's a fucking hard system to work in. Mm. And, you know, hats off to everybody who is doing the hard yards in that in, and, and being totally unappreciated and trying to be protective and look after their patients when they're getting, I was going to say fucked up the ass, but that's probably not no. the nicest thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like they're just getting shafted from whichever way they turn around. Uh, you know, you've got pressure, bed demands, you know, you bed block, let's get the women out. Are they okay? Let's come on, come on, come on, come on. Like it's, it's that constant pressure and it's so hard when you're at the cold face, you know, having this stuff smashing against your back and you're trying to look after a woman in labor. Yeah. Ooh, it's, it's tough. So I, this is, this is a long winded way of me coming back to how I wanted to work in birth. So I had two really different births. As I said, my second daughter, Amy, um, I birthed her like I was Zena, the fucking warrior princess. Uh, I just roared her into life, um, into this realm, into this dimension. Um, I remember once. Uh, I remember during the time the the midwives gave me something to hold onto, this some bar thing, and I was I was holding it in this bearing down, and I actually bent the bar. I was like, say, that's did you bend great- the bar? The strength that we had and the the midwife showed me the next day, she had a massive bruise on her leg from me. And she sort of moved my leg off her onto like the bed frame because I was just like, fucking, I'm just like, fucking Xena. And, and, and that child now she's very much the warrioress. She is, she's just kicking goals and, you know, left like so independent you know, left the little home nest when she was young and is out. You know, she's now working in Aboriginal health. Um, she's actually just started this week, actually, in um, Queensland Health as an Aboriginal health worker. But has been working in the community and doing great work there. And she's back. She's now working in the Obs and um, ward. So she's starting today, I think. So bless her. Wow. And yeah, yeah. My other my other daughter is a doctor. So you know, both have had experiences in health that have led them back to health, which I think it, and, you know, the different ways that birth has imprinted on them, I think, has really carried them through their life. So back to young last Danielle, who's had popped out two kids, um, I really had this sense of spirit telling me that I was working with pregnant women mm. um, and and really being there. So as I said, I got into nursing in view of becoming a midwife, but the drive for me to become a doctor, spirit kept whispering in my ears that this is where you're going to be. And I've got to say, upon reflection probably two years ago, the best time I really, really, really enjoyed um, being a doctor in the hospital was when I was a medical student um, and I was in there to catch the babies. We had four babies we had to catch, uh, to again, tick the box. But that was a place that was very sacred to me um my I, I will never forget you never forget your first baby and this beautiful um young mum and her partner we just had this beautiful time and space in her room and I was able to rub her back and the midwives were actually coming and going and are you going to be a doctor are you sure you don't want to be a midwife and I was like no no no, no, no. but I I was really loving being in that space um and then when the baby you know, came into my hands, it was just like I could feel the energy shifting, mm. um, you know, as as the two dimensions were meeting in that birth field, um, acknowledging the spirit in there. Because you have to recall, oh, you probably don't know. Well, you might know if you know me. Um, but I, when I started medicine, I really had to hide my magic.
0: Mm.
1: When I was a nurse walking around the hospitals, I would see people when they're dead and dying or, you know, see the spirit world in the medical room with them so when i started medicine the very first thing our lecturer said if you believe in homeopathy you might as well leave now that was our very first opening to our first lecture sitting with 500 of the top fucking smartest people in the world you know sitting in this one lecture room and i was like oh well i can travel into people's bodies so i don't really know and my hands get hot and I don't really know how that suits me. So I just ended up really shutting my magic down while I went through medicine to play the game and to get through. Um, and so I had these glimpses of the other world in the birth suite, which I really loved. And even when I was a junior doctor and assisting with caesareans, I fucking loved it.
0: Mm.
1: Because, again, I was able to feel and sense the otherworldliness that was happening when the baby was emerging. Mm. And I'd be looking around the room and it was like, I was the only person who had access to this special knowledge. Like the doctors were doing their brilliant work and the, you know, the the midwife was ready to receive the baby. You know, the anesthetic team were there. It was like I was in this secret little, you know, portal where I had access to, I knew what was happening. I could feel the energy spiraling into me. And I could, if I changed my gaze as I do when I heal and I check people's auras, if I changed my gaze, the room would have been lit up with, um, you know, the most beautiful um, angelic energy or high, you know, vibrational energy. And I used to, I'd get all teary when I'd feel this. And, you know, I'd be the doctor who always gets in trouble by this head scrub nurse because I'm fucking breaking sterile field because I'm like, you know, rubbing my eye with the back of my glove. <laughs> oh, fuck, you've broken sterile field. And I'd be back over, you know, doing the wash of shame, back re-washing <clears throat> up, scrubbing up again. Um, and, but it was really beautiful because whenever I looked over the, um, the sheet at mum and her partner, and when they'd receive baby onto their chest, it was like the mum is so open and the baby is just like this beautiful little energetic being who's just being received into her energy. And then to see the the dad or the partner sobbing, it, you know, that slayed me. And I don't know how you can be, I could, because I actually had aspirations. I thought I'm going to do Ops but I actually don't know how I could have, because I'd spend too long trying. I wouldn't be able to suture them up. I'd be having a look over what I say in my language, having a good old Doris over the, uh, the uh, sheet at them, trying to fucking see what's happening over there, being drawn to the energy that's happening there, whereas I've got a serious job to do right in front of me. So spirit certainly didn't lead me in that way. I did sit for a while thinking, am I going to do Ops and um, But then the call for me uh, to be a GP was quite strong, but also I hated fucking night work. So I just went, I can't do that. Um, And so I came out and became a GP. And along that time, when we were sitting our consultancy exams, I realized I needed to reclaim my magic and call it back into me because um, the way I was operating in this world um, and was not true to who I was. And during med school, the very first time I was in med school, I went out to Alice Springs for an Indigenous Doctors Conference. And these two old men were on stage, two old Aboriginal men. And they had an interpreter and they were actually talking about things that I I could do, like mm. travelling into people's bodies and pulling stuff out. And they were called monkery. And I went up to these two old men afterwards and just cried because I knew nobody else like me. Mm. I was being taught by spirit about all of my healing gifts, but to meet two men um, who had that cultural healing and who were acknowledged, who were standing alongside us as doctors, Mm. doctors in their field was so important and powerful to me as a young healer coming through. And when I met them, I just wept. And I'd like to say it was cute crying, but it was that ugly crying. And it was just like, yeah, it was (laughs) a big hearted cry. Like, oh. and you know over the next sort of 10 years we developed a really beautiful relationship and um so much so that when one of the the old men passed he transferred some of his power to me mm. and so and they were like nunkery number one like the super Nankiri. Um they were very powerful old men and it was such an honor for me to know them and to be in their presence, but I didn't want their gifts that they gave me and the teachings they gave me to be for naught,
0: mm-hmm. for me to
1: be fucked up and, and in the system when I wasn't being true to who I was, because that was being so disrespectful uh, disrespectful to these two old men who I saw as my elders and my teacher. Mm-hmm. And so when one of the uncles come to visit me, um, I was doing a meditation class actually, And I felt my energy raise as he came back to me Um, and he's a real cheeky little fellow. And he was like, uh, Oh, and I I was so happy. My heart just grew so big when I saw him. But when I looked down after the uh, meditation had finished, it was a um, like a speaking or a Sanskrit sort of meditation. I didn't know what I was saying. I was just there for the, you know, fun times, but when um, it finished, I looked down and on my leg, it was like I had a snake bite. Yeah. I had this like a puncher wound. And I was like, what, what the fuck's that? Like, am I like Jesus? Have I got some sort of stigmata that has like magically appeared? But I took a photo and I showed the other surviving nunguri, and they, were, they acknowledged that that's how he's transferred some of his mandibar, his power mm-hmm. to me. And so for me to not use that powerful gift I'd been given um, is so disrespectful so it took a couple of years i passed my consultancy exam um and i had a lot of trauma around the time of sitting those exams but i finally passed those exams and then i went you know what i'm a fucking healer uh this is who i am and i was working i work um i do medical education uh for a regional training provider called general practice training queensland and so i train gps basically around indigenous health stuff Mm -hmm. but I stood in front of about 150 people and added myself as a healer. You know, basically you saying know I, can
0: travel,
1: I, get I, can, I travel into people's oh. bodies. And you could see, like, some of the doctors were like, my science brain doesn't compute what you're saying. <laughs> Where's the evidence in this? But I'm
0: middle person um, and I'm nice, so I'm also not going to go, boom.
1: yeah Yeah, yeah but i was i was and i looked around the room but i actually saw a lot of people crying including men like that was so moved and so and i got a lot of congratulations afterwards so with that being said um you know my culture and cultural background is very protective of me um in this space where i can actually say this is part of my culture that i can lay my hands on you that i can do this healing um I did find it very difficult doing this sort of stuff in GP land. Um, And so I went, I keep them separated. Um, But sometimes I can't when spirits telling me things to like, look at this particular, there was a woman who came in um, with some unconvincing sort of calf pain. I was like, "Mm, mm, just post-surgery. And I said, oh, it could just be fluid. Her calves were the same size, they were non-ten- non-tender. But something in my head said, I'm just going to send her off for an ultrasound. And it turned out she had a crazy, massive, above-knee DVT, which is very serious. The, the woman basically said, don't fucking move. Mm. Uh, you know, we need to get you to the hospital straight away. But it was only because I listened to my intuition. And she actually, this, um, the sonographer or radiologist actually rang me up and said, how did you, how did you pick it? Mm. How did you know? And I said, well, just the patient knew as well. She kept asking me to look at it. And it was like when she asked me the third time, I sort of turned my attention to her. So, again, it's hard to keep these gifts separated Mm. and they can certainly be a big help, um, you know, when I let it in. But, you know, to keep ourselves protected, I've kept myself in a bit of a box. So the passing of my mother and um, leading up because she'd been sort of dealing with B cell lymphoma for at least 10 years, but it became quite aggressive. So the bless of the poor little love had about 20 or 30 rounds of chemo. Mm -hmm. And so in that last year, uh, she was obviously very struggling and had um, chronic anemia. And I just realized I was on the verge of burnout. I was looking after her being really busy in my medical education job, plus doing my GP work, plus doing a little bit of healing stuff on the side. So I said, I'm just stepping away from GP for a minute and um, being with my mum and helping her. But it, that was when, when you give yourself space is when all the gifts come in. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I, I was able to stand more into my space as being a doctor and it was probably around that time where I was pulling, playing with a pack of tarot cards as you do when you're a doctor. I think that's pretty normal, <laughs> pretty stock standard. Um, and spirit basically told me I was going to be a doula. Mm. I was like, what, what? And I was going to work with Angela Gallo. I was like, what the fuck, what? Um, I said, okay. And I sat and I reflected on all the times I'd been really happy. And it was in my medical career. And I was when I was, as I said, medical student in the birthing room. And then I went back and I looked at the very first piece of art work I bought when I was a POV student, you know, before I had popped out my first child. Um, And it was a woman delivering her own baby. Mm. And I was like, right, right. And when you follow the breadcrumbs of your life, it's quite often you have a lot of things, you'll see the common thread. And I recall then straight after, almost straight after I had my first dream where I was awoken to spirit, um, it was like you're going to work in a one-stop shop for women and you're going to help pregnant women. So at that time, it would have been like an, well, I didn't know it was an integrative medical centre or something like that. And I had no idea that I was going to be a doctor in that state. So. That's how, long story short, I ended up sort of moving into that birth field. And then I went down and I did the um, in-person training with Angela Gallo. And um, she's a force to be reckoned with, I mean, energetically, spiritually. I call it the Gallo effect. You know, you just go in and she just is like this blazing light of glory almost. And you, it, my daughter affectionately refers to her as a cult leader because she's so dynamic <laughs> yeah, yeah. and she's so like, you, you're just hanging off every word. You're like, Oh my God, love me. Love me. Turn your gaze on me. And, um, I couldn't believe it. She just talked nonstop for five, like five days. I was said, like, fuck, what an amazing woman. And there were a couple of days in the hospital, uh, sorry, in the training, um, that, I think it was probably about day three that I actually went off and had to have a little cry mm. because hearing the trauma and the things that had happened to women in hospitals, yeah. um, in the labor ward, uh, you know, all of that stuff, it fucking hurt me. It hurt that my, my brethren uh, were, you know, in, in part responsible for this trauma that was happening. And I hurt, it hurt my heart that women were experiencing this you know, and I'm, and I'm sure not, well, I'd hope that no doctor wakes up and goes today, I'm going to be a fucking asshole mm. and I'm going to really upset some person's life. I, you know, in my little rose tinted glasses, I, I would hope that no one wakes up with that thought. Mm. If they are, they are burnt out and they may need to get out of the job, honestly. Um, so that was a really difficult day because, you know, I advocate for people, you know, being empowered in the system um, or to be in the system but not of the system, Mm. you know, to make the system work for you in a way that you are safe and held and heard. And I appreciate how difficult it is for the health workers to be in that system. I remember once I was on a night ward call And I had to go over to the palliative ward to declare someone deceased. And I came back outside for a moment just to pause and reflect on what I experienced because, of course, whenever I stand at the crossroads of life and death and birth and rebirth, I can't help but sense spirit. So, of course, when I went in there, um, I dealt with the spirit of this gentleman, not just his deceased body Um, because he only had just died. So anyway, I just came outside to ta- to pause and take a moment while I sat in the Rose Garden and I just had this moment of clarity and I looked at the hospital and it was all lit up. But To me, it was just like this living, breathing, big entity. Mm-hmm. And you feel it when you're down in emergency. If an emergency is pumping and it's stressful, it's almost like it radiates up mm-hmm. through every ward in the hospital because when you're on ward call, you go from ward to ward to ward to ward you know, dealing with the little fires, putting it out. And it's like this whole entity, you know, the cortisol levels, if it, if it had a brain and all of this stuff, it would just be excessive. And when the hospital itself is stressed, everyone inside it is stressed. Mm. Um, and I don't know what the right way forward is for this. And it's, you know, whether you have a good supportive team on the hospital um like the people you work with obviously who can manage stress or manage uh, you know timelines and and the shit that gets thrown at them but that only lasts for so long so if you don't have a good team or if you're not really well supported in that space then it's a really difficult place to work in and i've got to say i was really happy when i left the um the hospital system mm,
0: for that no, reason um, there's definitely not a lot of skills training. and I think that's something I've talked to people over and over and over, that it's when you're in that vortex of, as you say, cortisol and stress and rushing and negativity and button pushing and all that kind of stuff, I think what happens to a lot of people, unless you are really, really in tune with yourself and you do have a really good support system People just see it as a personal failing. Well, it's something about me. I'm too sensitive. I'm too weak. I'm too this. I'm too this. and too that. Instead of going, hang on back to the like, well, who taught you how to do this? Like, you know, mm. some of us get some good coping skills from our parents if we're lucky. School teachers, yeah. absolutely fucking nothing. And then once you're in this like heaving system, there's nothing. There's not a whole lot of like, well, here's how to actually, A, cope with it, and B... Like, try and work with it, work against it, do all the advocacy, activism stuff, because that's often the thing that scares the shit out of people too. It's like, oh, I would like to do that, but I don't want to, like... I've spent all this time studying, right? How many of us relate to this? I've spent all this time studying. I've given up so much. I don't want to end up with my name blacklisted somewhere, never being able to work again. I'm going to end up destitute in the gutter, blah, 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 blah. Because of fear... It's the fear that's controlling so many of us that you can't pick up, you can't change things. So people kind of get in there like, you know, as I say, the, the reaction stuff, complaining, venting, all that sort of stuff, or just they're like, oh, well, none of them can do. Or they leave. Mm. That happens too. And I'm like, no, we've got to keep people, keep people in the system because the system's not going anywhere anytime too soon. Yeah,
1: that's right. Well, and it, it is, you, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's really about your own personal resilience and what it is that you've got in your own sort of spiritual toolkit to help you um, survive and cope in that place. And sometimes it is so toxic, as it is in any sort of job. The toxicity of the place is the thing that'll, you know, it might just be one person. I've been in a workplace um, outside of the hospital that was so toxic just to be due to two people. Hmm. And it was just spread through again, the whole workplace and it wasn't until they've left um, or one left that it's uh, feels different. Hmm. You know, felt different in that place. So yeah, it is, it is a very tricky space. And again, like, you know, when I work with um, my clients, well, hang on, I'll I'll just backtrack and tell you something. So after I finished um, Angel's course, We found out mum was palliative um, on the 31st of December because that's always a good time to to find out when things are going to, you know, Mm. be changing for you. Um, And so, you know, the 1st of January was really sitting in a space of, wow, what is it going to be like to lose my mum? I've literally lost my dad two months ago. Mm. And then, but also alongside that was this call to... Okay, you've done, you've had the Gallo effect. You've, you know, had the Medias, what is it, Medias, touch? Medias? Medias. The person with the golden fingers. Anyway. You've had that touch. Who? Midas? Yeah, Midas. 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 Anyway, much more exotic the way you say (laughs) it. It's my accent, (laughs) though. It's the way we say it in Brisbane. No. Brizzo. 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 Anyway. The touch the was good to me. Right. So yeah, the, 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 the the gallo. Anyway, I've had I had a touch of the Gallo effect, and I thought, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to navigate this and really work with pregnant women and be there to support them? And then, one of my mates who I went through med school with, uh, she's an obstetrician, and she rang me up and said, Dan, would you like to come into? I'd love you to be our doula. It's like what? What? And. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, that's really exciting and cool. And it was good because I needed someone to practice on as well, you know, take my little doula bag and take my honey sticks. I had everything all packed and ready. But I thought before I do that, being a woman of spirit, um, I'll do a shamanic journey because I wanted to actually work out what my doula gifts were and and how I would navigate all aspects of me into birth. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, so I did the shamanic journey and I went up to the higher realms and then i ended up there and there was a massive big temple as far as i could see in my spiritual eye was this massive temple and this woman came out and met me in some sort of like grecian robe sort of things um and it was diana and i was at her temple or artemis artemis diana same same um and i was at her temple and all i could see because i'm a fucking nerd there's this whole big massive library Uh, in their ceiling to floor of books and i just wanted to get in the temple and get my hands Mm -hmm. on those little books and like oh what's in here like you know like oh i smell them herbal texts or something anyway she's like hang on hang on and she was putting crystals in me and activating me so i could go into this temple um and there were like little kids going past and there was a beautiful uh sacred bath pool like there was a pool thing and then i went in there was a big council of women and i had a chat with them anyway long story short I was activated into the sacred birth energy. Didn't really know what that was. Came back down, came back to myself and went, wow, that was quite interesting. Um, wonder how that's going to work out in this birth. So the night before um, this obstetrician was being uh, induced and we went, okay, she she really wanted to sort of, Um, She'd have but She didn't really want CTG if she didn't have it or, you know, like there was lots of things she wanted to, she did calm birth and hypnobirthing. So she really wanted to go as natural as possible. Anyway, it seemed like the night before I was having a sleep. I was asleep, sorry. But I was journeying with her up to this temple and I'm putting her in the sacred bath and we're doing this stuff. And I remember waking up going, fuck, it feels like I actually haven't slept at all. Like I've just been actively journeying and travelling around. And when I got there, I didn't realise that she'd sort of had uh, the balloon in overnight, the dilatation in, and she sort of felt a bit tired as well. So when we got into the room, I really set it up energetically um, because I've got a few like little witch sprays that I've made and I had all my little herbal potions But energetically, I set up this space and she was really blessed that she had a friend of hers who was a midwife, who was actually a bit witchy as well. And so we actually did a ritual um, where we called in her ancestors and it turned out one of her ancestors was a midwife um, in a country town who'd birthed a lot of children. Mm -hmm. Um, So we called her in and we made it a, a sacred and a spiritual place for her to birth. And she was just going gently through her contractions and, you know, doing her mindfulness techniques. And I've got this beautiful album. um, Your listeners might be interested in. It's called Sacred Birth Album. And I made it with a friend of mine it has been channeled through from spirit. Um, The first track is called The Birth Tree. And it was about a woman who walks into the forest and calls her power to her. And then she goes, ends up going to a tree and then turns inward. Because in my culture, Um, women would, you know, give birth amongst those birth trees. Mm. Um, And the second one was called, the track is called Birth Water where the woman is turning inward and it's really a journey um, in through your own birth waters, like that around and surrounding the baby. Mm. Um, And the last one is called Cosmic Birth and that's sort of like the postpartum period and how you've been changed. It's a bit of a sneaky Ascension album as well. But um, so I was playing this track and it was like energetically everything was set up and it was beautiful and she was moving through her birth in a very powerful way. Um, But then we realized that, um, you know, we had to do a few things to sort of like we ended up breaking her waters um, because she'd been sort of not having very strong contractions. But what I did, which was amazing, is I set up this sacred place for her to birth. I took in a birth mat um, that I gave her and we had, you know, I had a crystal grid set up, and so she's got her ball, and I've got a photograph of all of this set up, and I'm in there with her, and I'm sort of doing some healing work and like just rubbing her back, and she and I are both looking at the um, CTG machine to see what's happening with Bubby, and it was just really beautiful because it showed me that you could be having the most amazing spiritual experience in a very sort of medicalized birth. Mm. And when things got going, when she really went into that act of labor, I think it literally uh, was, I want to say, 30 to 40 minutes labor and six minutes of pushing. And what happened, though, was as the baby was coming, so she ended up with no pain relief. Mm. Uh, she was amazing and just really opened her mouth and was sung into her contractions. Then she leant back and right up against me, like I was the birth tree Mm. and I was just holding her. And then she's like, Oh, and moving again. And it's just watching her move her body as the energy was surrounding her and her cervix was opening. And as she was standing at the gateway of motherhood Mm. Um, and, and watching her partner as he too stood at the gateway of parenthood, you know, it was just such a beautiful thing to be conscious of, and then as she's um, you know, birthing her baby, I looked down at her and I f- wanted to cry because I saw the goddess mm. in her. The goddess, she was at the temple and the goddess was in her birthing with her. Mm. And the whole room was filled with light and the whole room was filled with love and she was so open it was like her physical body had dissolved and she was just left as a etheric being of light. That's what I could see. Mm -hmm. And so of course the bubby comes out and where do the babies go? They go straight onto, but straight onto her heart chakra, Mm. straight over that. And the baby was so open. The dad was crying. She was crying. And then it was, like the most amazing thing, and the obstetrician, of course, had come right in at the end to help deliver the baby. And I did feel horrible for the midwife, because, but it was like I had put such a protective, energetic barrier. I had to like let him in. So he, <laughs> it's like he came up to this barrier, and I had to dissolve it a bit to let him into this sort of sacred space. And he afterwards, he sort of tried to reflect on what he felt because he came into the room, and he was like. Um, oh, yeah, I've never been in a calm birth room before. I said, dude, it wasn't a calm birth. It <laughs> was a calm birth, but it wasn't a calm birth. But it was just so beautiful to know that I could anchor and hold this sacred birth energy. And this woman had the most amazing birth. And now, you know, I'm on call now for um, another one of my clients, a clients, um, who I've worked with throughout a pregnancy. And she's got her spiritual gifts. She knows what her power animal is. So we're going in and we're doing, you know, bespoke meditations and work with dugong uh, when we go in there. She's been doing shamanic journeys. I've got this beautiful big grandmother tree who's on my property. Grandmother tree has told her, you can call me in your labor. I will be your birth tree. Like Mm -hmm. she's got like this spiritual toolkit in place. We've gone through some rituals and ceremonies. I've helped her connect on a shamanic dimension with her pregnancy. Um, we've done some work around changing the molecules, like imbuing the molecules of her amniotic fluid with her love and, you know, what it is that she hopes for, dreams for with this birth. And she comes out of this like just in a big love fest. And this is what, if we we can empower women to actually, you know, step in and honour birth as a sacred thing, as a spiritual event, as something that is so powerful, like you are, you are forever changed. And if the health workers are open to this, every time they come into a birth field, they can leave changed. Mm. But the problem is that most of the time we're closed to it or we're shut off from that energy. And it's a fucking, like that's, a, a, it's, it's a way to heal yourself because the energy is so pure and light. Mm. It's very, you know, I dueled my mother during her death I was with her when she passed. Um, you know, the veils always seem to thin at 3 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, and that's when babies are born and people die. And the energy, the, the, the death portal energy um, is very different to that sacred birth energy that I hold. It's, you know, I feel very blessed to be able to do this work and um, to do it in a way that is, um, matters for people.
0: I think it's um, it's weird in a way to talk about it like, this isn't just like standard practice kind of stuff. Like the fact that, I suppose anything that's branded with the like all oh, might be a bit spiritual woo woo kind of stick, has been so. I don't know, stigmatized is that the right word? I don't know.
1: I kind of just think it's um, well because it's there's a fear thing as well. Like you know, I mean. It, Women have died in childbirth. You know when, when you know, and that's you know we we know from ancient times that you know the midwives and the healers were, and the witches were one and the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that there was a big political push that when science and medicine was birthed into the world, as we know it, the white Western mod- medical model, that the midwives, witches, and healers were a threat. To that patriarchal society, hence the witch burning and all the things that we fear. So through that fear, and we carry that ancestrally, we carry that in our DNA, we carry that in our epigenetics, um, the women who are here now doing the work that we're doing, um, we have to, get to overcome a lot of that fear. We have to reconnect with our power because we've been so separated from it. And quite often that's our womb space. So we're, we're learnt not to um, be connected with our, our menstrual blood uh, with, you know, we're, we're taught to plug it up and, um, you know, skip a period, bleeding's inconvenient. But that's, that's actually our magic and that's where our power lay. We can actually create life. Yeah, That's pretty fucking amazing
0: mm-hmm.
1: in this magic little womb cauldron that we're carrying around in our body. Um, and you know, I do a lot of work with holistic pelvic care as well, um, trained under um, Tammy Kent. And she, you know, that is a really interesting thing because I've treated a lot of women who've experienced trauma and rape and childhood abuse. And what I feel when I do an internal on them, um, and and assess their sort of uh, energetic and physical space of their womb is that they're disconnected, so they're numb. So we, we through societal pressures and our lifestyles and everything, we're just actually separated from our magic. And so, you know, as women, we stand before five blood altars in our life. We're born into blood. We get our period. We become mothers. We lose our blood and then we die. Mm. So that's the five places. And, and I think... If we mark each one with ritual, if we mark each one with ceremony, then that's helping us reconnect. So the the, the story of our um, the mismanagement of our blood and the total disregard for our menstrual ecology um, is shameful in society, because it it keeps us powerless. Mm. And yeah. so. Um, you know I do ceremonies now I'm starting to do what I call mothering alchemy ceremonies I don't call them blessing ways because that's disrespectful I think to the, the Navajo um, you know cultures where a lot of that stuff was taken from I, I call them mothering alchemy ceremonies and I do it my own way where we you know call in the spirits I, I give the the woman a, a spiritual toolkit um, she knows her powers and her strengths and how to use them in the birth field Mm. and i would love to teach you know I, I do a bit through angela's work um you know where we're talking to doulas about what is your gift at the last training i actually did a shamanic journey with all the doulas that were there to what i took them up to the temple of diana and i said what is your birth gift like what what is your gift as a doula mm. and a lot came out crying and changed and you know I i taught a, a way to help them reconnect to their bleed and to see the internal and external seasons that happen within our um, menstrual cycle within our life cycle and i actually taught that to a group of cultural mentors as well um, who work with gps and doctors because it's we are so disconnected from our ecosystem from our great mother um because we spend our time indoors and we're so fucking stressed and we eat shit food and all the rest, blah, 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 blah. We're actually disconnected from the source, from the thing that can heal us the most. Mm. So I think as health professionals and as any even people who've experienced trauma, we need to step back and start reclaiming um, as my very first tagline for my business. When I first came out and re stood as a, as a doctor slash healer was reclaim your magic. And I think that it's so imperative that all of us do. Mm.
0: I think that's going to hopefully, myself included, just give a little like niggle, nudge of like, oh, it might be safe to do this. Because as I said, yeah. you probably did yeah. not sign up to be the poster girl for like, you know, both worlds can coexist. imagine that
1: yeah so well, I don't know. Maybe I did sign up for it uh, <laughs> because it's happening and it has you, know,
0: he's asking and, you about it
1: it has, and i do i've I've had a message from um a doctor in Scotland who was you know doing shamanic work and and, and uh, there are like you we get called to medicine or to the health profession, you know like we did to priesthood in the days of old, or like when you were called as a druid or you know you know, I'm rereading the myths of Avalon, you know, that sort of stuff, it's a calling. Mm. And so, you know, if you think about past lives and reincarnation or whatever it is that you believe in or whatever your religious um, and social construct is, that you get called to medicine because you genuinely want to help people. Mm. And I did a uh, women in medicine circle up at my place once and Grandmother tree's talking to me because uh, I'm very clear and so I hear things... Anyway, she's saying, "Oh, get everyone to do a shamanic journey to me." And I'm trying really hard to be a straight 180. Like, this is just <laughs> a gathering. There's nothing witchy going on here. Don't, don't. You know, I had cardiothoracic surgeons there. I had psychiatrists, I had GPs, I had uh, physicians, you like a whole cross-reference of, you know, all these different doctors. And I went, Oh fuck. And I really sat with it for a while and I call it spirit humbugged. If I, if I ignore it, it gets louder and louder. I'm like, Oh fuck. And I was like, and I phrased it as like, we're going to do a little meditation. It's up like visualization. There's a tree outside. I'm going to bang this drum and you're just going to, you know, see what happens. Anyway, every one of them met with grandmother tree. Every one of them um, had a, had a, a, an amazing and interesting experience. And some of them have, you know left changed some of them have come back and gone actually like one of them came to one of my moon temples which is danielle as witch you know full power <laughs> like and everything yeah, yeah
0: yeah fucking hair
1: sticking out there doing crazy stuff and i was just sort of had to like message her and go look just to be clear this is what this will be like it won't be like what we did and she goes no actually not. and the reason she came back is she needed more evidence around this tree and her connection that she felt with it Which I loved that it was her analytical brain, but she was really just being open to spirit. And I hold this thing called witch school, so um, that was the thing that was birthed out of my mother's grief. um, Really standing in my power because I had nothing else to hold me back now. Like I had nothing else to distract me. So I really I I held this five day workshop, and it happens every year. So I'm holding it in 2020. But what it was. It was like, you know, people called it, they came into the dragon's den and left transformed. But five days of really stepping in and reclaiming your power. We did shamanic journey after shamanic journey, you know, parts of you were revealed, parts of you were burnt away. Um, You know, we did this dismemberment ritual where you're basically torn apart by animals and eaten and then rebirthed. It was just full on, Mm. like for for months after week, no one could talk about it because it was just so powerful. Um, but that's the thing. And now I've got a couple of doctors who are hopefully coming to which school. Like I've had people messaging me going, I'm so interested in that I had a couple of midwives. I had a couple of doulas who came, but this is an opportunity where, you know, there is a framework for them starting. So, you know, whether I am the poster girl for this sort of change, there's a few of us out there who are doing the work and it's okay for you to do it because that's your life calling. That's what you've been reborn to do. And so, fucking step in, reclaim your power, because it turns around and helps so many people. Yeah. And if you can change the story, the narrative, so that you're not saying to one person, um, "It's hard for me to," you know, "I think your baby's small because you're so fat," okay. um, or you know, or you know, "Did you actually want the baby?" Instead of changing that narrative, we can come at it a, at, a, at a more heart-centered um, and spiritual uh, dialogue which I think then can, you know, it turns around because we're talking about epigenetics here as well. Like if a woman is experiencing trauma in her pregnancy um, through her interactions in the health system, for instance, or at home or something else, then we know that the effects that's going to have on the baby, the increased uh, maternal cortisol circulating is going to have an impact on the baby's developing brain um, and, you know, how the baby is actually going to be born. Mm. We know that chronic stress... Um, or even feeling stressed or scared in the birthplace is leading to increased interventions I mean and ideally we want women to be birthing as naturally as possible Uh, we know that the cesarean rates now are really high Mm -hmm. and you know as a system and as a whole how do we reflect on that what do we do and I think one of the answers is really calling in those who have been hiding who have been scared to step you know, to step out of the shadows and come back into the light because we actually need you. Um, you know, you can come and do training with me. You can, you know, I do mentoring. I do all of those sorts of things where I can help you step back in because fuck knows the world needs you. It's, this is not the time for us to be little and small. The world is in crisis, ecologically in crisis. The only way we're going to help heal that is to reconnect to the great mother to reconnect to our magic, to reconnect to the things that drive us um, and have driven our ancestors uh, to reclaim it rather than be separated. Mm. That's
0: pretty good. That's pretty good. I think also um, if you think about that effect that happens, that I'm sure you've probably felt where... How catching that fear scarcity cortisol kind of stuff is and if we could shift that so what would it be like if you know I people could be more confident going into that system knowing that people are like high-five and like I got you I'm okay like we're confident there's a bubble of light and love and joy and we're here for the joy rather than like you know the heavy like both things can be equally catching. And so I suppose I'm starting to think about it like, okay, there's the what you say with your mouth, there's the like what you do with your face and where your eyebrows go and if your jaw's tight and all that stuff, like the impact you can have as a midwife, an OB, anyone in that birthing space just by what you're doing with your energy, like that's affecting the rest of people's lives potentially. And it's a mm. shit. It doesn't have to be a, I don't know, five-point plan <laughs> we should be doing differently. But what I think would really change birthing systems if we could get people to tap into that, like, okay, how do you feel in your body going to work? Right, what can we do to shift that so that the flow and effect for the people in the space is, oh, I actually feel safe. I feel relaxed. I feel, you know, mm-hmm. feeling held and respected and honoured and revered and, yeah.
1: Well, it, it's, it it is, that's our perfect world dream. And obviously there's a lot of things I think that, um, that would have to happen within the system and, you know, those who run the system um, than those who are merely workers in the system. Like there's, there's so much to change in that space. Um, you know, I know some hospitals have done smoking ceremonies where they've actually gone through and um, taken Indigenous uh, leaders in and just smoked the whole hospital
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: because, you know, even Indigenous people, you know, they don't want to go to hospitals because that's where you go to die. And there's a lot of, you know, spirits there and there's a lot of um, energetic imprints that are, you know, hanging around the hospital as well. Um, You know, and in the birth suites, like that's what I think about as well. Like, you know, if women giving birth and they're using their um, animalistic part of their brain, like, you know, if you're following the hormone cascade and then you're sort of really in that instinctual mode but you go into a birth suite and there's been a trauma that's been there before, or there's been blood or there's been anger or there's been stress. Then you are in your animal part of you mm-hmm. since that. And then you like shutting up. So, you know, we talk about, we're cleaning the hospital rooms after, you know, to make sure there's no MRSA or stuff like that, which of course is very important. But, you know, the the idea of energetically cleansing the space and that's what I do when I go in with my clients is I energetically cleanse that space so all of that residual um, energy and imprint is gone. Mm -hmm. Because we know, we walk into a space and we feel it feels good or it doesn't feel good. And so I think that that's something that I think hospitals could probably look at as a nice little place to start is actually have the ceremony and ritual around we are actually cleansing this place we're starting afresh we're starting new you know because that's what we do in our house when we run around with a sage or whatever it is that you do burning incense because we're cleansing it yeah. um you know so i think yeah it's it's a big job mate and i don't know if you and i can solve that in a uh, mere podcast yeah <laughs> might, might, we might take a couple <laughs> but certainly there's idea number one okay or two we, we're getting people to recla- reclaim their magic Step back into your power and then think about how you cleanse the energy of the person who's been in there before you. Yeah, and that's just it. That's just one thing. Done, solved, done. And bringing pets to work, that would be another good thing. Oh, Bring your pup to work day.
0: I'm telling you, animals, like we were talking about before we started recording this podcast and you are talking about dogs, like I've heard birds jumping on the roof, a chicken's just laid an egg. There's always animals around me. So, like, yeah, totally. I think that would be amazing. Doggy duelers.
1: Yeah, that's what we need. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. That's okay. Beautiful.
0: time to move today's conversation through your body. Get up, go for a walk, have a shower, dance in your kitchen, cry, do something to shift any tension that might have come up. Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, The course, is out now. The link is in the show notes and you can also head to dreran.com.au. Early bird prices will be up until the end of 2019, but as of 2020, the price is going up, so don't dawdle. Hope is a doing word. My hope is that warm, empathic, intuitive workers will stay in birth. But we need to do something. Take a big step and work on some of the fears that you have. To stay in the helping and healing professions, you need to level up your self care and support. And if you're struggling to even do Human 101 with your sleep, nourishment, rest, and so on, how are you going to serve anyone? You owe it to yourself and the people that you serve to make sure that your cup is running over and you are thriving. If you want coaching to live a life that you don't need to escape from, then reach out to me, drerin.com.au or you can find me at DrErinBow on Instagram. Thank you so much for making time for yourself to feel uncomfortable and grow and learn. I love it. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak my passions
1: and do my soul work.